Brandon Donovan. There are things on here for the USA. Now here come Watford. Manchester City are still alive here. Cross and Dempsey is denied again. And Donovan has scored. Oh, can you believe this? Here's Hawk. Dini. Balotelli. Aguero. Scratch your eyes. You are really seeing the most extraordinary finish here. I swear you'll never see anything like this ever again. Hello and welcome to the Run and Play podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Papsiak, and joining me, as always, Ryan Almeida. Ryan, how you doing? I'm wonderful, Spencer. How are you? Pretty good. Uh, how's life up in North Carolina? Life is good. Life is good. Just came back from a vacation in Virginia, um, back on campus for up until school starts. It's good to be home. Yes, Ryan and I will be reunited into the same room with the same microphone in a very short time. But for now, we are still separated. We are still using the Skype. But we are still delivering this great soccer content here. And we are going to talk MLS. This is the Ryan is really happy now episode because now we're talking MLS and that's his thing. Ryan, how excited are you right now on a scale of like 1 to 10? 100. All right. That's that's the attitude that I like. Um, but before we dive into anything, you know who has those Twitter details. Ryan, what's the scoop here? Yep, yep. So as you guys remember, we are part of the Young Speak Network now, a website and media network devoted to sports, politics, pop culture coverage, and this is all by people under the age of 25. So you can follow at real underscore youngspeak on Twitter to find our podcast and a lot more great content. And, you know, as always, at Run of Play Show is our personal account. We've got our coverage. We've got our gifts. We've got everything cool that you guys want to see. So hit us up on Twitter. Absolutely. And remember, we are on SoundCloud and iTunes. So you can follow us on SoundCloud. You can subscribe on iTunes to get these episodes downloaded onto your phone. We want you to interact with us, so hit us up on either of those Twitters. Ask us some questions we want to hear back from our listeners. And we have a great episode planned today. We're going to talk about a lot of small individual stories and how these individual things impact MLS and the U.S. men's national team as a whole. But first, we must start with a more somber and serious note. Recently, news came out about New England Revolution striker Charlie Davies, who had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, We all know somebody that has been affected by this, and it affects our lives in in every way. Um, And I think one of the times that it hits closest to home is when uh, cancer or something of the sort affects a player for a team that you like and root for. So I'm going to pass this off to Ryan now, the resident New England Revolution Yeah, Charlie Davies is one of the most likable guys to have ever donned the red, white, and blue for New England. This guy, homegrown from Manchester, New Hampshire, for those of you who don't know, went to the Brooks Academy in North Andover, Massachusetts, set records there, ended up playing college ball at Boston College, suffered some injuries, but still was a finalist for the Herman Trophy, and... He's been doing it his whole career. Um, For those of you who are not quite as familiar, just a quick summary of his career. He signed with Hammerby in the Swedish top flight um, as his first professional club. Was really made a name for himself there. 
um, was called up for the U.S. national team, um, eventually moved to Sochaux in France, where he was supposed to take a next big step in his career. But while on duty for the U.S. national team, tragedy hit, and he was involved in a horrific car crash. This car crash late at night killed his passenger who was with him and left him with life-threatening injuries. He went through a very long surgery, and there were times where people thought he would never play again. Um, But that's not the Charlie Davies style. And they came back, worked as hard as ever, and ultimately came back to playing professional soccer, returned to Socho, as if that wasn't enough of a story for him. After moving around to a few clubs, you know, he played for DC United in Major League Soccer. Um, He played for Randers. He found a home back with us in New England and couldn't be more happy about this. He was a real fan favorite, really instrumental in that run New England had to MLS Cup a couple of years ago. It was just this year, which has been a real whole sort of events for him, real whirlwind of events here. His two twin boys, who his wife Nita was pregnant with, were born three months premature. So that was an off-the-field issue that Charlie was dealing with. And just recently, as Spencer touched on, he came out that he was diagnosed with cancer and he had sarcoma, um, testicular sarcoma. You know, when we talk about events like this that change people's lives, it really is a true test of the character to see how they react. Because, you know, nobody can prepare for cancer. Nobody can prepare for a car crash that almost takes your life. Nobody can prepare for complications in a pregnancy that, you know, have your twins born three months early and he has to go to the hospital every single day after training. And this guy never stopped smiling. And it really speaks to his character and who he is, not just as a professional, but as a man. And I couldn't be more honored to have seen him wear New England's kit with pride. And he's really the heart and soul of a region that, you know, throughout its history has been known for being kind of rebellious and fighting back. And I just couldn't think of a better role model to have seen playing live at my home stadium and to be able to cheer for him scoring goals for a team that's near and dear to my heart. So Charlie Davies, if you're listening to this, I just want to thank you for everything you've done for New England, you've done for U.S. soccer. And I'm rooting for you no matter what jersey you're wearing, because for those who are not aware, uh, he was just recently traded to the Philadelphia Union um, in exchange for some target allocation money and draft picks for New England. Um, New England made sure this was okay with him, talked to him, made sure it was the right move for him and his family, and he's off to the next stage in his career. And while I'm heartbroken that I won't be seeing him playing at Gillette Stadium anymore, I couldn't be more proud of this man. And I hope that his dream to be back with the national team comes faster than ever. And I hope that he continues to bag the goals and always be rooting for Charlie Davies. So that's all I've got to say, but had to make it clear how how great this guy is. Yes. And the small bit of positive news in all of this is that he announced that the cancer was in remission. So that is very clearly a good sign for him and his family Uh, Like you did mention, Ryan, he was traded to the Philadelphia Union, um, and he is one guy that I'd love to see back wearing the the other red, white, and blue, the red, white, and blue of the U.S. men's national team. Uh, He was a key member 
of the 2009 Confederations Cup squad that beat Spain and did really well in that tournament. And his car crash happened before the 2010 World Cup, so he was not able to compete in that team, but he almost um, surely would have been selected for that squad. So I, I hope he can one day wear that red, white, and blue again. But very well said, Ryan. You mentioned the Philadelphia Union, and they were, they've been very busy over the last couple of days, and we have more news involving them. Um, most notably, the Charlie Davies move was not the biggest move that they made. Uh, it was a transfer involving U.S. Men's National Team star midfielder Alejandro Bedoya from Nantes in France. Uh, for a, about a $1 million fee and a designated player contract. Ryan, what do you think about that move uh, that the Philadelphia Union have made, bringing in a, a big name that's going to almost surely slide into a starting spot in the midfield? Round of applause for the Philadelphia Union right now. They are making all the right moves. And this is a team that really surprised people at the beginning of the year with just the level of quality football they were playing and they were cranking out results in the Eastern Conference. And, again, I think this is a team that most people pegged as being cellar dwellers in the Eastern Conference, which, you know, if you look at the strength between the two, is saying something because the East kind of sucks. But they have completely turned around their woes from the past few years. And it's only recently where they've hit a bit of a dip in form, so to speak, that kind of coincides with the loss of midfielder Vincent Noguera, who was real glue in that center midfield role. And I couldn't think of a better player to go replace him, Alejandro Bedoya. Smart, uh, makes good runs off the ball, does his duties defensively. Never the most flashy, but he really facilitates that transition from defense to midfield to offense that you know can be so tricky to get and is sometimes under-recognized when a player does it well. And I think he's going to find great success with this team. So well done, Philadelphia. Yes, uh, Philadelphia offloaded fan favorite and midfielder Sebastian Latou to the Colorado Rapids. Um, I know a lot of Philadelphia Union fans weren't very happy about that move, solely from a fan perspective. But I like to think that Bedoya is an overall team upgrade. Uh, Ryan, it looks like the Rapids are loading up for a big playoff push here. Yeah, the Rapids are for real this year, man. And I think... You know, I I would have been the first to criticize them all year, but they're making the right moves again and again, and I think they were going to make a real push uh, during these playoffs and surprise some people. They will surely be a challenger. Um, this is kind of the big topic that I wanted to dive into for this podcast, and I want to take a look at the Bedoya move back to MLS, and I want to kind of look at that trend from a, a bit of a wider lens here. We see players like Alejandro Bedoya, who are stars on the U.S. men's national team, come back to MLS. Just off the top of my head, over the last couple years, we have seen Alejandro Bedoya, Michael Bradley, Clint Dempsey, Jermaine Jones, and Mix Discarude all come back to the U.S. and sign big money contracts playing in MLS. So this is clearly a financial decision that a lot of these players are making by going to maybe a bit of a worse league. I know Jermaine Jones is playing a lot in Germany and Turkey and kind of a downgrade to the MLS. Uh, 
Michael Bradley was in Serie A in Italy. That's a bit of a downgrade. Um, the French League, Ligue 1, is definitely a downgrade for Alejandro Bedoya. So, Ryan, I just want to to ask you if you've seen any correlation between these players chasing big contracts in the MLS where they are superstars and dip in form for the U.S. men's national team. Because a lot of people think that Michael Bradley's loss of form over the last couple years was due to MLS and that these players aren't challenging themselves overseas. Clearly, that is something Jurgen Klinsmann wants them to do. Ryan, what do you think? Uh, I have to disagree with that assessment. And I know it's a pretty popular one among um, football fans and analysts worldwide. But I think it is easy to see what you want to see when you're watching something like this. And if you're not the biggest fan of MLS, you know, if the U.S. national team struggles, it's easy to point, well, these guys aren't playing at the top of their game. But look at the likes of Clint Dempsey over this past Copa America. I mean, this is a guy who people were questioning that he was done with the national team. People were saying he doesn't have a spot in this team. You know, his career's over. He's gone to Seattle to kind of, you know, coast his way into retirement. And he proved us wrong. I'd like to think Michael Bradley's dip in form uh, really stems from him playing in a bad position. Um, I think he's been much better playing defensive mid, which is what he's moved into at Toronto. And I can understand where... You know, people's frustration come from when they see him lose the ball in advanced positions and, you know, working hard to get it back, but he's not, you know, he's had his struggles over the past few years, um, really being that commanding force in the midfield. And I'd like to think that that is not correlated. I have not seen a dip in form at the national team that really stands out to me. Um, I mean, you can talk about all the things that have gone wrong in the Klinsman era so far, and I, we've talked about them, and I'm sure we could keep talking about them. But I personally do not think MLS is to blame here. I think these players are committed to furthering the United States as a soccer nation. Um, and while people are going to disagree, I think this was a positive move for a lot of their careers, and I think for U.S. soccer as a whole. So, no, I do not think this is directly correlated with a different form for the national team. I'm so torn on so many of these moves because I really want players like Bedoya and, you know, a little earlier, maybe Bradley and Discarude to challenge themselves with big overseas moves and, and try try their hand in some of the bigger leagues in the world. I know that Jones and Dempsey were getting older and their prospects of playing in England or Germany were, weren't as good as they used to be. But I I it's kind of it's it's a double edged sword for me because I really want them to challenge themselves, but I also really want to grow MLS and grow the game within our own borders. And one of the best ways to do that is for the best US talent to be playing here. So I'm I'm very torn on this, but I think in Bedoya's instance, um, I think it's probably a positive move. The only thing that concerns me is that a few weeks ago, at the end of Copa America, they were asking him about transfers, and he said that he wanted to challenge himself. He wanted to move up to a tougher league or move up to a bigger club in the French League, and he wanted to really challenge himself. I know he was linked at um, at Ajax in the Netherlands. He was linked with some German clubs, some uh, lower Premier League clubs. And then it almost seems like the going to MLS is 
maybe settling? I don't know. Is that the right word to use? Yeah, I, I think in this context, I think that would definitely make sense. It reminds me of the influx of players that are moving to China for these crazy huge contracts where they're earning you know, a million dollars every couple weeks to go play in China, which is just absolutely ridiculous. There, there comes a point where you know you need for yourself or your family, you know, financial decisions and sta- stability. Uh, it trumps, um, you know, taking a risk with smaller wages at a at a club that you might not fit in with. And one good thing for Bedoya is he knows he's going to get playing time in Philadelphia. Let's just hope that he can keep his level of game up and that you know Klinsman's still picking him for things. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with you. And I have to think a real difference here between those big moves to China. I think the financial stability is certainly one that it plays in their minds, you know, when making these kind of moves. But these national team players, I mean, you can you can debate this. I feel as if they do have some sort of responsibility to help U.S. soccer and grow their nation as an ambassador of the game on the pitch and off the pitch. And while I don't think that means every player has a commitment to move to MLS and to, you know, quit trying to challenge themselves at the highest level because that is how players get better and that is how we become a, you know, team of quality players. Um, I do think that it has to have at least played a role in the decision making in terms of MLS that this is added incentive to join this league that they're not only just settling for a league that's maybe lower than the level they're playing in now or the level that they want to play in, but that they are taking an opportunity firsthand to be a part of making the United States a better soccer nation. Um, So I guess what I'm just trying to say is that I think while this move may not benefit the team necessarily in the short run, Um, I hope to think that we're going to reap the rewards years from now of these kind of moves. Uh, Very well said. Um, One issue is when a guy like McDiscrude moves back to MLS and then can't even make the bench for New York City (laughs) FC. So that's a whole whole other can of worms that I think we're going to open at a later date. I don't really want to get into that now. um, Don't get me started. Oh my goodness. Well, we're going to take a brief pause we have reached about the halfway point here for a quick sponsors message ryan mentioned it briefly before but i am here to talk about young speak the run of play podcast is one of several young speak podcasts that you can find at youngspeaknews.com most of mainstream media is run by those that are 40 plus years of age but what about the opinions of millennials YoungSpeak is a news website featuring writers only 25 years or younger, whether it be sports, politics, or pop culture. YoungSpeak is providing multiple avenues for you to be entertained. Read Millennials' takes on this year's election. Um, Listen to why Deadpool is or isn't the best movie of 2016. Or maybe even some MLS hot takes, right, Ryan? Yeah. So go follow at real underscore YoungSpeak on Twitter or just search YoungSpeak on Facebook to follow all of the site's great content. They are posting podcasts like ours, articles, and much, much more. Just always remember, age is but a number. 
Moving on now, we are going to fly through some quick bullet points of MLS and U.S. Men's National Team related news and then get to our three questions series. Um, first, Ryan, is a bit of a scheduling note, uh, it's been tentatively announced that the U.S. is either has scheduled or is trying to schedule a game this October, a friendly against Ghana, probably to be played in Washington, D.C., they already have a friendly scheduled. I think the date is October 7th. Uh, double check that if you're trying to go to the game against Cuba. And this game would slide in either the 10th or the 11th, a few days after that. Ryan, we have those two World Cup qualifiers in September. We would have these two friendlies in October, and then the hexagonal World Cup qualifying would start in November. That seems like a pretty good fall schedule to me. Uh, what say you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's balanced. I think it's a good mix of competition, you know, uh, reignite some friendly rivalry with our World Cup foes, Ghana. Um, it's, it's It looks good for the U.S. national team. I think this is a good level of play and a good amount of play, rather, um, yeah. in prep for the Hex. Yeah, I'm a big fan of when you have an international break that doesn't coincide with any mandatory events, such as like a World Cup qualifier or a qualifier for another event. Yep. And you're just playing friendlies. I always like the idea of playing one little team and one tough team. Yeah, um, Especially when you've kind of finished a bit of a cycle. We've kind of had these this this two year cycle, which ended with the Copa America, and now we are gearing up for a two years of World Cup qualifying and an eventual World Cup. And you're going to want to work younger players into the squad, and you know get some fresh faces in there. And a game like Cuba is a really good time to do that and see what you have and then put out more of an A team including some of the players that impressed you in that previous game against the bigger club uh, of course I'd love to see Ghana I'd love to see John Brooks get out there and yes. see if he can put another winner in um, great memories from the World Cup there moving on to a, a name that we haven't really haven't really said much on this podcast because he hasn't really done anything, but um, hello, Julian Green. Hey. <laughs> uh, he recently played a friendly for Bayern Munich against Inter Milan and bagged three goals in the first 30 minutes. So that's good. Julian Green was the first choice striker actually for Bayern on their summer tour of the U.S. and Europe because Robert Lewandowski is still on vacation having participated deep into the Euros this year. Bayern Munich has moved Julian Green to striker. He is no longer a winger and Ryan, honestly, he looks a lot more fit. He looks, you know, maybe 10 pounds heavier of muscle. He looks more like an, like an adult rather than a kid out there. And apparently he is going to back up Robert Lewandowski. Um, the key word there is back up. He is more of a depth player, and he's a guy that Bayern can throw out there at center forward for small games in the cup or against lesser league teams when they are trying to rest their top guys for the European competition or for bigger uh, league games that are coming up. So hopefully Julian Green will get a few games this year in the Bundesliga. Um, what do you think, Ryan? Yeah, uh, I'm excited to see Julian Green this year. Um, 
you know, it's easy to forget about him scoring that big goal against Belgium, you know. And I think the fact that we haven't heard about him is maybe not so much of a bad thing, you know. I mean, don't forget, this guy's young. And Bayern Munich probably doing the right thing, taking their time developing him. Um, and I think this could be a breakout year for him. You know, the organization seems to have faith in him as, you know, a first-choice backup for Robert Lewandowski. And I'd really like to see him break out and make an impact when he's on the pitch. So don't sleep on Julian Green. Yes, just to be clear here, um, if Lewandowski were to go down with an injury, uh, Thomas Müller would be the first choice center forward if they had to play a say say like they had to play a Champions League game the next day. Julian Green is more of the the backup in terms of we're resting a guy and we don't want to play anybody else out of position. So um, yeah, don't root for Lewandowski to be injured because that's not no, really going to do anything never. for Julian Green's chances. Um, <laughs> remember, Jurgen Klinsmann did call him in for that Puerto Rico friendly at the beginning of the summer just to kind of keep a, keep an eye on him, I guess. But didn't select him for Copa America, which was probably a good idea. Let Julian work with Bayern, work with the club. And Ryan, I really hate to say it, but long term, I don't see Julian Green being a successful player at Bayern Munich. He has, this is his last season on his contract. He is going to, fingers crossed that he you know becomes an all-world player for them, but he's going to need to make a jump to another team, whether it's a mid-table Bundesliga team or a, another league, um, he's going to have to find a really good situation for him. Yeah, and I don't think that's a bad thing by any means. I mean, you know, don't. T- I mean, he's been training with the best of the best for you know a long t- part of his career now, which started young. And you know, not being the starter at Bayern Munich is not the end of the world by any means. Mm. And I think. We haven't seen the last of him, so... No, I mean, there's only about two or three other teams on this planet that have the amount of depth and resources that Bayern Munich have. Absolutely. And, yeah, he can't crack the line up there. Um, one good thing that I've I've heard is that people have said that he's matured. I know he went on a loan spell that ended disastrously with him not getting any playing time because of uh, some... Some maturity issues, we'll say, um, disagreements with the coaches and and whatnot. But apparently, he's put all that past him, uh, and he's ready to be a first team player with Bayern. So let's hope that that he can get some playing time this fall because that is when their schedule is busiest. And we'll see him versus Christian Pulisic maybe at some point this year. It's exciting. Yeah, That's so exciting. Two great American talents. I really three if you. Young American talents, if you had Bobby Wood in there, you know, Fabian Johnson and John Brooks playing in the Bundesliga. The Bundesliga is, you know, maybe becoming MLS light here for for Americans. Yeah. Ryan, did you see anything at all about the Fabian Castillo transfer to Turkish team Trabzonspor? And I'm sorry if I've said that name wrong. That's the best I can do. I'm sure that's good enough. I I did. I followed that pretty closely. Uh, Fabian Castillo... After a big transfer saga over the past few weeks, has finally agreed to a loan move to Trabzonspor for, uh, I believe, three million up front, and with the option to buy him out at the end of his loan, which goes towards the end of the 2016 season, for an initial one to one point five million. And this is a 
move that really took a lot of people in Dallas by shock. I mean, Fabian Castillo has been with the club since he was 18 years old. Um, he's the real heart and soul of a dynamic young offense there. And people were shocked to see this move happen, you know, just like that so quickly. And from what I've heard, his heart was set on a move. There were some issues with him leaving training, you know, leaving without permission, heading to Turkey to meet with officials without talking to the club. And ultimately, I guess the heart wants what the heart wants, and FC Dallas had no choice but to let him go. The deal is on after, you know, some issues with the Turkish club not being able to pay um, the fee that Dallas wanted, but he's gone now. FC Dallas has to move on, and this is hopefully a good move for Castillo, who's one of the brightest young attackers in MLS, and blistering pace, great foot skills. So we wish him the best, but I'm I'm disappointed not to see him wearing the hoops. Yeah, absolutely. That was a crazy transfer situation. Castillo had been told by his agent that he had been sold. He flies to Turkey. Um, and then Dallas calls him and says, you haven't been sold, so he comes back to the U.S., and then Dallas tells him, oh, we've agreed to sell you, and then MLS blocks it, and then Dallas says, no, 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 they can't block it, and MLS says, yes, we can, and then everybody kind of met up, and they agreed to something. One of the big issues that MLS was facing was with some of the political and financial crises that Turkey is having, and the Turkish League over the last few years has been relatively uh, infamous for running up debts and not paying players and just having uh, all manner of financial issues. Uh, MLS's issue was with Turkey not, or the Turkish club not being able to pay. So that is why there is a loan deal. Because if for some reason um, there are financial issues, MLS can yank them back stateside at any yeah. point. Trabzonspor has bought or has agreed to the loan deal with all intentions of them buying the player eventually. And I really hope he does well because this would be a real nice feather in the cap for MLS if they can put another player and successfully into a a good European league. And this is one of the biggest transfers that MLS has ever done. So I really hope this works out. Yeah. Ryan, there have been some managerial switches, changes, and hirings that we need to discuss. Uh, One of which is that Siggy Schmidt is out at Seattle. He is no longer the manager of the Sounders, and Schmidt was with Seattle since they had become an MLS team. Very impressive, since I believe 2007 is the year. Uh, He brought them to what they are now, and he's an absolutely legendary manager in the scope of U.S. soccer culture, but he's no longer at Seattle. I mean, this is really an unfortunate move, in my opinion, that had to be made by the Seattle front office and Ziggy Schmidt. Um, I mean, what a disaster of a year, and I'm sure we'll touch on this a little bit later, that Seattle's having right now. And I think Schmidt was really left with no choice. I mean, I don't know. I'd like to think, deep in my heart, that you know a club could have held out for a guy who's done so much for this team and you know this is really an anomaly of a season for Seattle Sounders but you know what soccer's a business and if they're not getting results things have to change so I'm sad to see him leave Seattle um club legend he'll always be you know remembered fondly there but I guess you know you gotta do what you gotta do when the wins are coming 
Yes, and I just looked it up. I believe he took over their second full year in MLS. So pretty much all Sounders fans, all they know is Shiggy, Siggy Schmidt, and now they must move on. The second piece of news is that, uh, surprise, surprise, Jurgen Klinsmann was not selected for England manager. Um, Too bad. Sam Allardyce from Sunderland was selected. This is not really newsworthy for our podcast other than the fact that Klinsmann wasn't. And apparently the English FA never even reached out to him. This was all kind of drummed up by him and his own agents and press people to maybe try to get leverage on U.S. soccer for uh, an extension or something like that. I, I don't really know, but apparently this was all kind of drummed up by Klinsman's people and the media. So, gotta love it when that happens. Mm, too bad. I guess they weren't listening to our podcast. Yeah. Hey, I mean, but if England still wants to do it, or any country really, uh, I don't think many U.S. fans would be too upset to see yeah. Mr. Klinsman go. Unfortunately, I think he'll still be manning the touchlines in Russia as yep. long as we don't screw up qualifying. So, moving on to our three questions series, the ever-popular three-question series, Ryan. And this is going to be MLS-themed. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, pretty much what we do is I come up with three questions. Ryan gets first dibs at answering all three. I come in with a second answer, and then we talk about them. Um, They are all themed or grouped similarly, and this one is MLS Teams. We haven't really talked much specific MLS on this podcast. We've been talking U.S. men's national team pretty much all summer. And, you know, it's time we got down to brass tacks here. Ryan, who's your biggest surprise in MLS this season? I got to go with the Colorado Rapids. They have been astoundingly good. Um, I mean, this is a team... You know, before the season, I was pegging as could have had one of the worst seats in MLS ever. They're, I mean, their front office looked like a mess. They weren't doing anything for their team. It took them ages to make a decent signing in Steven Gashi. I mean, this was, granted, this was kind of before Jermaine Jones' saga had, you know, kind of been settled. I still thought he was going to be with the Rebs and was pleading somebody to take him. And Colorado answered my pleas. Um, and I just, I had... No expectations for this team. I thought they would be utter trash. I thought they would be the worst of the worst in Major League Soccer. I And here they are fighting for one of the best defensive records in MLS history and gunning for first place in the West. Are you kidding me? That is an unbelievable turnaround. So, I mean, all the credit goes to Colorado management and their front office for making smart roster decisions. I mean, Paolo Mascherini for proving to us that he's more than a great mustache. And man, Colorado is the real deal this year. And I'm just excited to see how far they take it. Yeah, I have to agree that they are the biggest surprise, but that is not how this works because (laughs) I come up with the questions Ryan picks first and he pretty much picked my team in all three questions today. So I had to go up to the backup options, and my backup option was still a team that surprised me a lot, and that is NYCFC, New York City Football Club. They are surprising in a totally different way than Colorado was. 
New York City is currently leading the MLS Eastern Conference. They have scored more goals than any other team in the league. Granted, I think they've let in more than any other team in the league, but let's not worry about that. Um, New York City's issue was never one of talent. They always have had, you know, granted this is their second year, but last year was a bit of a flop, and they still had one of the best lineups in MLS. And Patrick Vieira has done a great job there. But I think one of the biggest surprises for me is that they were able to come together as a coherent unit and function with Pirlo and Lampard and David Villa and all these other guys around them. Uh, I mean, Jack Harrison, the rookie, has been incredible for them. And they have just been, they have surprised me by doing what they should do, if that makes sense, which... Having seen what we saw in their first year, uh, people didn't really expect that at the start of the season. Yeah, Tommy Mack for president, 2016. Oh. I mean, they have just been awesome. It's been it's been so cool to watch them ascend to a top team in the East I don't, and really come behind, you know, pieces that are not just Frank Lampard, David Villa, and Andrea Pirlo. So props to NYCFC. I don't know about um, Tommy Mack for president, but um, <laughs> I could get behind Jack Harrison for foreign correspondent to england can yeah, we do that yeah, yeah. all right we'll, we'll, i know we'll i know he's like 19 years old but you know we'll make it work um, defenders like he does uh, i'll take it exactly so ryan i hate to uh to burst this happiness bubble but who has been your biggest disappointment this year in mls mm, i mean i touched on it a little bit earlier and i'm just gonna bring it up again seattle has been dreadful um i just can't fathom how a team with that much talent has just been in such shambles and I mean I know they've had some key departures and guys like Obafemi Martins leaving who was you know one of the best attackers in Major League Soccer but that's not good enough for a team that has standards like they do I mean Seattle Sounders should have been competing for Major League for the MLS Cup this year just as they have almost every year they've been in this league so far um, and it's a real, I think it's a real letdown to their fans and just overall quality of the game has been lower without them being there, but it has, you know, it has allowed teams like Colorado, um, and, you know, other teams like that to really come to the forefront and surprise us all. But Damn, what a bad year for Seattle. Yeah, I think they're one of those teams that when they're playing well, they make MLS as a whole more fun. Exactly. Um, because, I mean, that fan base, they're still behind their team so much, and the team is horrible. And it's just it's such a step up, though, in, in fan support when they're doing well. I followed Seattle a lot this year solely because of the Bay Jordan Morris, um, who's kind of underwhelmed this year as much as I don't want to admit it. Granted, it's a rookie year for him. Um, hopefully he'll turn it around, but he's not been put in the best rookie situation ever. Yeah, I, yeah, I almost feel Jordan Morris is a story of like what could be. Because, I mean, his numbers aren't bad. I mean, he's like six goals on Six the years. goals, but think of the service he's gotten, which has been almost yeah. non-existent. That's, that's yeah. the real thing is, you know, your rookie year, you're, you're barely getting any looks at goal. That's not what you want. Yeah, if they were if they were firing on all cylinders like they normally do, I mean, who knows? He could have been having one of the best rookie seasons in Major League Soccer history. Absolutely, I one of the games I watched recently was Seattle at Kansas City, 
and Seattle didn't get a shot off, a, a shot, not even a shot on goal, a shot off until about, I think, the 85th or 86th minute. Dreadful. And it, Dreadful. it wasn't close. Uh, I think they might have gotten one on goal later in the match, but it takes you 86 minutes to even get a shot off. It's, it's, that's sad. Um, so my second biggest disappointment this year has been the Columbus crew. Well, this is, this is another disappointment for, for kind of another reason. They've disappointed in the sense that they made the MLS Cup last year, final, lost to Portland, but I thought they were, you know, going to reload and get ready for another year, and instead they kind of disintegrated from within. They had the Kai Kamara issues, you've had them not being able to hold on to key players, you've had them having some injuries, some some problems signing players. It's just not it's just been a total disaster this year for the Columbus crew. I mean, they sit this is something you never want to hear, Ryan. They sit one point above the Chicago Fire in the East. Ugh. And Ugh. Chicago Fire have won four games out of twenty. So that's not good. Oh man, it's it's just been disaster for for uh, Columbus, excuse me. They such a such a talented team with some guys that you know Ethan Finley, Tony Chani. I mean, you talk about Kai Kamara leaving, but they've got a great replacement in Ola Kamara, who's been you know scoring goals like it's his job because it is um, since he's arrived, and they can't get a win to save their lives, and just really really disappointing from a team that I thought was going to be dominant in the East and should have been dominant in the East based on the talent they have. Ryan, would you believe it? At the beginning of the season, if I told you that in August that the Columbus crew would have won fewer games than the Chicago Fire, unbelievable! I I don't believe it now, and I know it's true. Yep, they have won three games. Chicago has won four. Columbus has the worst goal differential in the entire MLS and have won the fewest games in the MLS. That's just Darn not gosh. not a good job there, and they they have talent throughout the whole squad that's the disappointing part is that they just they haven't lived up to their potential which i think is very high all right ryan final question who's your pick right now if you had to put money on a team to win the mls cup who would it be i'm gonna put my money on fc dallas even without fabian castillo this team is deep man they have heart determination and just an uncanny ability to grind out results and that's what you got to do to make your money in Major League Soccer. You got to be able to grind out results when you're on grueling road trips, when you know you're playing games on Wednesday and then on Saturday and then on Wednesday again because of weird scheduling conflicts, and you've got to go from Seattle to New England to Orlando to Columbus in some crazy eight-day trip because because they want to. And FC Dallas has just been able to consistently get results and consistently find the back of the net throughout the year. Yeah, they've had blips. I think, I mean, Seattle put five past them at one point this year, which is, you know, classic MLS, some anomaly of a game. But Oh, just man. want to point out right there that that's one-fourth of the goals that Seattle scored this season. <laughs> My lord, that is... They, they, have, they have 21 goals this year, and they put in five in one game against Dallas. Oh, it's so bad. Oh, man. I I am disappointed. That makes me sad, and I am in no way a Seattle fan. That's just... Ugh. No. But, 
I mean, FC Dallas is the real deal. And they've got depth coming out the wazoo. And even without Castillo, which is a huge loss. I mean, we can't understate how valuable this player was. But this team is that good. So if I was to put my money on any team right now, I'd feel very confident putting on FC Dallas. Well, I'm going to go away from that pick. And I think because of the structure of the MLS and the playoff system, it kind of opens it up for more teams to have a chance. And, you know, I really think Montreal is going to make a really good run this year. I want to see New York City, um, you know, Caleb Porter and Portland are always going to do something as long as they can get to the playoffs. But the team and the coach that I would want to back with my money is the LA Galaxy. I think that in a playoff setting, the combination of Robbie Keane, Yassi Zardes, Giovanni Dos Santos, and Steven Gerrard is just too much for for any team in MLS. And with Bruce Arena and how he rotates players, it almost seems like they are biding their time to get that playoff spot, and then they are just going to unleash everything on some poor, hapless Western Conference team. So... I think the Galaxy are my pick to make yet another run into the MLS Cup. Yeah, I, I think that's a really smart pick. I mean, if I was to pick a team that can, you know, fight, you know, player to player in depth with FC Dallas, I might go with the LA Galaxy. And the crazy thing to me is that they've been able to grind out results when momentum is completely against them. I mean, they're outshot like two to one in like I forget I, I forget the exact numbers, but the percentage of their last games where they were outshot was unbelievable, and yet they won or drawn almost all of them. Which, I mean, if that's not the sign of a team that's in it to win it, I don't know what it is. So, man, it's going to be interesting. Ryan, if you had to select right now between Caleb Porter or Bruce Arena for U.S. Men's National Team coach, who would you choose? I like Caleb Porter. Um, I, I mean, Bruce Arena, you know, I mean, he's been there, done that, and he is an excellent coach. And Yeah, but can you not... imagine Can you imagine Bruce Arena with today's player pool? Just think about that for a second. That would be, that would be sexy. I would be, I would be really, really excited to see Bruce Arena. Um, and maybe, maybe it's like a part of me that wants, you know, like give Caleb a chance that like, I want to see him really be this next this next Bruce Arena, like this kind of protege, so to speak, to one of the most successful coaches in American soccer history. But, wow, that's a tough choice. I mean, the things Bruce Arena could do with Klinsman's players. So, speaking of uh, Caleb Porter, so Ryan and I were talking about this the other day, and we were discussing the the job that Caleb Porter did when he was at Akron. So he coached at Akron for multiple years before making that jump to MLS. And I just want to read through a few of the players that he developed. Well, he was at a team that really didn't have much of a history of being a good college soccer program. Turned him into a national power. Developed the likes of Montreal goalkeeper Evan Bush. Teal Bunbury for the the Revs, one of your guys. Darlington Nagby. Perry Kitchen. DeAndre Yedlin. Will Trapp. Darren Maddox, Dylan Serna, Saad Abdul Salam. How's that Scott list? Caldwell. Him too. Oh, and Scott Caldwell. Yep. How's that and list? The rest guy. <laughs> How, how's that list? Oh my goodness! Like that. Ah, uh, man. 
this guy has done wonders. I mean, that is such a strong team. Those are some of the perennial top youth play- or young players in Major League Soccer. You know, I mean, what, Nagby, Nagby, Kitchen, who else? Anyone else with national team call-ups on that team? Uh, and Yedlin. 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 I forgot about Yedlin. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And then Will Trap with the uh, U23s. I yeah. mean, that's 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 a heck of a job for for a guy who took over a program that only had a handful of NCAA tournament appearances uh, yeah. before he got there, much less some success. Of course, they won the NCAA soccer tournament in 2010. Caleb Porter making the jump to MLS, and if my my dreams come true. Hopefully the jump one day to U.S. Men's National Team Manager. Fingers crossed. On that note, thank you all for listening, and we'd like to have a special thank you to Ryan's girlfriend for letting him talk to me for an hour. Thanks, Sarah. Yep. So that'll be it. Uh, Any last words, Ryan? Keep listening, guys. All right. Don't forget to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Follow us on Twitter and ask us questions. Thank you all for listening, and goodbye.